Welcome to The Intersect, the official podcast of Fanbase. I'm Mary, a Creighton practitioner and infertile adoptive mother. A 12-year late endometriosis diagnosis inspired me to educate women of all ages about the importance of authentic and restorative health care for women. I'm Emily, a Marquette user, wife and mama to two NFP surprises, now with secondary infertility, who personally knows the importance of honesty and vulnerability when sharing fertility awareness. With a range of experiences from our different fertility backgrounds, we engage in authentic conversations about all things fertility awareness. Welcome to the place where science and real life intersect. We're so glad you're here. Welcome back to The Intersect. I am Mary, and I have a very special guest back with us today. Dr. Jenny Porter is a physical therapist specializing in pelvic floor therapy for men, women, and children with bladder, bowel, sexual, and pain dysfunctions. She also specializes in physical therapy for pregnancy and postpartum care. She works at Pivotal PT and Wellness, formerly Dynamics PT and Wellness, She and her husband, Mason, have three daughters, ages four, two, and almost one, that keep them very active outside of work. Jenny, thank you so much for coming back with us today. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, you might recognize Jenny's voice. Uh, So if if you caught our our first, our original episode on pelvic floor physical therapy, it was episode three. I will link it in the show notes in case you missed it. It was a just kind of a general look at physical therapy and uh, Emily's working partner, Dr. Emily, I'm sorry, you're Jenny. My partner's Emily. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So many Emily's. Too many Emily's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, too many Emily's. So Jenny's partner, Dr. Emily McElrath was also joining us for that episode. So that was general, but we're getting more specific today. And we're talking okay. about expectations when it comes to sex, pain, tightness, and everything involved. So before we get started, and I'm going to share a little bit about my story, because this is personal for me. And this is why I wanted to interview you, Jenny. Jenny's my own personal pelvic floor PT. So before we get into that, Jenny, can you tell us a little bit about what got you interested in this specialization? Absolutely. So getting interested in pelvic floor as a specialty within physical therapy started actually when I was in grad school and I had a one hour lecture from a therapist, which is about all we get in school for this specialty. And it blew me away that there's a whole area of physical therapy I'd never heard of. And so she said, if we really want to know if we're interested in it, go take a course in it. So I was lucky enough that while I was on clinical in Des Moines, they happened to have a course come. So I was able to sit um, for that weekend. And my first impression of it was that I was a student, a third year student in a sea of, you know, 30 seasoned physical therapists. And then in comes this four foot 11. She had to be a hundred pounds soaking wet, tiny woman, just very quietly to the front of the room. And then all of a sudden goes, Vagina! Stop it! It's dead serious, and we all busted up laughing. It was hilarious. That's the tension, right? Totally broke the ice. Okay. And so then after that, I was like, "Oh, I can do this! Like, I can totally do this!" Yeah. (laughs) And so that opened the door to physical therapy, and then getting into the sexual dysfunction side of it is. No one talks about this. Like Amen. people will say their bladder leaks every now and then like bowels they'll talk about just because they hate it so much. But then sex, the conversation pretty much ends. It's, oh, we don't go there. No, you're either not allowed to talk about it or because like it's bad or that's your own private thing, or mm-hmm. you're not allowed to talk about it because how dare you say it's anything but wonderful and beautiful and pleasurable. So, oh, amen. Thank you so much for bringing <laughs> that up because I think that happens a lot, especially, I mean, in the Christian Catholic circles. I mean, it's just everything like, like my partner, Emily says is, is sanitized and it doesn't mean that um, it's not still good, even though we're having these difficult moments. So I really appreciate mm-hmm. that. We interviewed you and your partner not too long ago, and mm-hmm. it was that interview, that conversation with you that helped me personally uh, realize that I needed pelvic floor physical therapy. So um, I have a lot of specific questions to ask Jenny. 
some of our listeners have asked some questions that we'll get to at the end, but I just want to explain why this is so personal for me and go from there. So uh, my husband and I waited till our wedding night to have sex for the first time. Um, Obviously, a lot of anticipation built up for that moment. And when we were finally able to do that, I noticed right away, like it was very painful. I would even describe it as um, like the, the... the way that I thought about it was that this just doesn't fit. And it, it sounds kind of funny, but that's, that's exact. I think that's the best way to describe it is that it just felt like this wasn't going to fit. But like you just mentioned, because I had no educate, I had no education prior to this. I had no concept of what was normal for whatever reason I was told or to expect that it would hurt the first time or the first few times but there was never um, a gauge. Like I never had a good gauge of, well, how much is it supposed to hurt? Like there's a very big spectrum of pain, right? Mm -hmm. So I was just expecting pain and that's exactly what I got. Mm. It was like a 10 out of 10 pain. I pushed Mm. through it. Uh, Now looking back, I recognize it for what it is. It was traumatic. Mm -hmm. And that's something that has been very hard for me to wrap. It took me a really long time to wrap my head around that. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I pushed through it. Um, we did finish somehow. Uh, it was, uh, I had, I had to, I had very, uh, I had a lot of trouble sleeping. I felt the pain very strongly, even after sex was over. Um, I had a hard time walking the next day. It took me a while to get to sleep. Um, I, I know this, uh, this may be very sensitive for some people, but I think it's important to give these specific details. And this, of course, was probably more of an extreme experience of pain for the first time. But I think it's important, again, to give these details so women understand, like, this is not normal. This is something that's possible. And this is not mm-hmm. something that you should push through. Mm-hmm. So the next several days, I, we just continued, I just continued to push through it. And I just kind of thought this is, this is how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so I, I hate to say this, but fortunately, I remember being relieved that I started my period about three or four days later, which if you know, my story is saying a lot because my period was very painful, but mm-hmm. I meant that we didn't have to have sex anymore that like during our honeymoon. Mm-hmm. It was this very strange, like feelings that I didn't understand. I let me, I want to be clear. I desire, like, I wanted to have sex. I wanted to be intimate with my husband. Um, I, I can't say I fully understood what was going on mentally at that time. I just knew I, I didn't want to have sex, but I was going to put myself in that situation to have sex. And so that's, so after that, we got home from our honeymoon sex, uh, the pain with sex improved. It wasn't as intense and acute, but it remained to varying degrees for the next several years. Uh, Many of you know that I went into marriage uh, not too long after being diagnosed with endometriosis. And I knew that that could cause pain with intercourse, but had no idea what it was about endometriosis that was causing the pain. I just knew that there was some correlation there. So I had several surgeries. Like I said, um, something I don't understand, maybe you can touch on a little bit, Jenny, was that the, the pain varied over the years. And then even like with the surgeries, uh, I've been married for almost 10 years now. Two years ago, I had a hysterectomy and removed some adenomyosis, and most of the endometriosis has been taken care of, some scar tissue, but the pain with intercourse has remained for the most part. I'm having some menopausal symptoms. The pain, I feel like, got a little bit worse close to when we uh, recorded this podcast And that was when I recognized, okay, I really need to go in and get evaluated. Something that held me back for a little while is that the internal work that I sort of understood that needed to be done. Um, And that intimidated me a lot, but it was talking to you guys and hearing how you approach this internal work that you will, I just got the sense that you were going to make me comfortable, that I had control right over what was going to be done when it was that, that it was going to happen. 
And I just, I, I felt like this was something that I, I needed to challenge myself to do uh, for the sake of myself and for the sake of my marriage, but not in the sense that it sounds like, but like, you know, having, having good, pleasurable, pain-free intercourse is very good. And it's something that we should all seek. So before I turn it over to you, Jenny, because I want to get your take on a lot of different things I've just brought up. I just want to um, mention, you know, we had a question about uh, what prevented me from seeking treatment earlier, kind of this question of why didn't I realize I was having pain? This is very complex, I think. Um, it's not a, it's still a uh, an answer I'm trying to wrap my head around because it's, it's not that I didn't know that I had pain. Um, I think it was more of, I didn't realize that it should be differently. I thought this was something that I should push through. I just kind of thought this was how it was. I didn't have anything to compare it to. And I was able to orgasm. And I think that was confusing because even though I was able to orgasm, sex as a whole was, was not, it was enjoyable in the sense that I did feel that intimacy with my husband. But, but in addition to that, it was like, I also had to, I, I began to to lose interest and in, in not have much of libido. I really went into it just as this intimacy with him, but there wasn't a lot for me in the other way. So I know this is very complex. I just want to add, like, my husband has been very supportive and very loving. Um, another complicated issue to add is that I, I didn't want him to know that I was in pain. So he was, he was largely unaware that I was experiencing this pain for a long time. So I'm going to turn this over to you, Jenny. I, I know I, I, there was a lot that I brought up there. Um, <laughs> before you go into kind of responding to that, can you just briefly explain what a normal, normal pelvic floor should look like or, or present like, and compare that to the various conditions that become present that cause pain. Absolutely. So a normal pelvic floor is just like any other muscle in the body that we have control over. So it should be able to release all of its tension or relax all the way down, squeeze and do a full contraction, release back down and do so under your control. So it squeezes when you tell it to, and when you tell it to release, it does it at that timing. It should also automatically coordinate with the body. So like when you cough, we want the pelvic floor to automatically squeeze to where you don't have to actively think, oh, I'm about to cough. Okay, pelvic floor contract, so I don't pee my pants. And then equally, like when you go to have a bowel movement, we want your pelvic floor muscles to press down or to stretch or to open to allow that bowel movement to then come. Um, when there's conditions that can directly be painful for the pelvic floor, vaginal, rectal, pelvic area versus diagnoses that indirectly can cause pain to the pelvic to the pelvis. Um, there's a lot of them and this is by no means like a complete list, but here's just some really common ones that I thought of. Um, you already mentioned one of them. So it's genital urinary symptoms of menopause. So when we're perimenopausal or postmenopausal, we do have actual tissue changes, anatomical tissue changes to the vulvar tissues. So they start to become thinner and drier. We lose our natural lubrication. The tissues become less extensible. And so they become a little bit more rigid or stiff, which leads them easier, more prone to tearing, which is painful. Um, and that kind of increases risks uh, for bladder and bowel dysfunctions as well as pain. Um, you can have scar tissue and scar tissue can come from anything as simple as, or no, I don't think it's very simple, but as common as an episiotomy during vaginal delivery or a natural perineal tear during delivery to any kind of um, pelvic surgery. And that scar tissue itself is non-extensible tissue. So if it's never treated, then it just wants to tear at that point of scarring as opposed to stretching with the rest of that connective tissue. Um, you can have diagnoses like vaginismus, which is where there's difficulty with penetration for the vagina. And that can be insertion of anything. It doesn't have to necessarily be intercourse. Um, and that doesn't necessarily have to be painful. When you say anything, can you give some examples? Absolutely. Like so it tampons. can be 
a tampon, a speculum. Um, it can be for a pap smear test. It can be any kind of like toy dilator, truly anything that can be inserted. Um, and that would be not normal if someone experienced pain is what you're saying with, with like inserting a tampon that shouldn't absolutely. be just uncomfortable. I mean, it may be a little uncomfortable, but not painful. And I think that's a good differentiation of uncomfortable versus painful. There is a difference there. Um, And especially like if we're talking something like inserting a tampon, it may be a little challenging or a little uncomfortable for someone, especially if they're younger and they still have an intact hymen, but it shouldn't be painful ever. It should never feel like this isn't going to fit or it's just not going to go in or you have to really force something into the vagina, like never normal in that sense. Some other things could be like nerve hypersensitivity, which is where like, if you just lightly brush your skin, that should feel like I'm lightly brushing my skin. But sometimes the nerve gets so irritated or sensitive that then that can feel like something's actually burning or you're getting stabbed. Um, You can have overactive or also hypertonic pelvic floor muscles, which is where the pelvic muscles themselves become too tensed over long periods of time. And really commonly they can form trigger points or muscle spasms that those then become a source of pain as well. When they're pressed upon, um, you can have vulvodynia or vestibulodynia, which is just a diagnosis by symptom. All it means is pain at the vulva or pain of the vestibule. Uh, but it's another diagnosis you'll see thrown there for this kind of pain. Constipation can actually cause vaginal pain. So within the vaginal canal on top, you have the urethra and the bladder at the very apex or at the back, you have the cervix and urethra, cervix and uterus. And then the bottom, you have the rectum. If the rectum is full of hardened stool, it literally bubbles up into the vagina. And if you're trying to insert something like a tampon or um, during intercourse and it hits that stool, yeah, that's going to hurt. That does not want to be pressed upon. Um, And then lastly, for a similar principle is prolapse. So prolapse is where you have a part of an organ that's falling down into the vaginal wall and kind of caving it in. So you can have the bladder from the top, bowels from the bottom, or cervix, uterus, or vaginal vault from the back. And so when that tissue isn't supported the way it's supposed to, then it it gets in the way of insertion in the vagina, and that can be uncomfortable too. And And what sort of things cause prolapse? Just if people are sitting at home wondering, like, do I have prolapse? So to know if you have prolapse, you may feel things like a heaviness in the pelvis, something like it's falling out of the vagina, like your organs are going to come out of you. Um, There are some things that can increase your risk for prolapse. So if you're one that has really loose connective tissue, so Like if you can take that skinny elbow and like pull it way, way down, that's connective tissue. If you naturally have that, that it can increase your risk. If you have chronic constipation, that's a huge one for increasing your risk for prolapse. And constipation is defined by the type of stool you have. So we're looking for like hard pebbles, balls of stool rather than how often you go. So you can have and pass small balls of stool four times a day and you could think you're not constipated. When in fact, you're very, very constipated. Okay. And then any kind of increased abdominal pressure. So this comes from like, if you're holding your breath a lot. So like people who work out and they're not mindful of how they're exercising and they're constantly doing a, like when they go to lift or whatever it is that can do it. If you have a cough, like people with asthma that's uncontrolled, or, um, they have like a lot of sinus issues. So they have posterior nasal drips. They're constantly like, that all creates downward pressure onto the pelvic floor. And when that happens over and over again, that can increase your risk. Thank you for explaining that. I feel like there's so much information. I don't I know. know how your brain holds it all the time, but I'm grateful there's somebody who does hold that information in their brain. So all the things you mentioned, these are all things that you can address as a pelvic floor physical therapist, correct? Yes. So I can address some of the tissue restrictions. So on the, so I say, I like to handle the muscles, connective tissue and nerve, and then the physicians handle more of the organs and infection health, that sort of thing. And so it really is two sides of a coin of you're really doing yourself a disservice and it's only a partial picture if you only follow through with one. Oh, 
Amen. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> you also mentioned like with the tampon that if you feel like it doesn't fit, that's also, those are also some of the words that I used when I was having sex for the first time. It felt like it wasn't going to fit. Can you just kind of explain why that is? Because, and what, but with the conversations you and I have had, you describe a lot of this pain with intercourse being the result of tightness. So when you mm-hmm. say tightness, if you can do this little thing that with your hands that you do, by yes. the way, this is available on YouTube. If you want to like kind of get a, a better picture of, of what she's explaining. Uh, when she says tightness, the opening is actually closing and getting smaller. Can Literally, you explain yes. that a little bit? And that's why it feels like it won't fit. Absolutely. So you have pelvic floor muscles throughout the, so like the outside of vagina all the way through to the very back, including like you have muscles like in the labia or in the lips outside the vagina. So it's supposed to sit kind of circular or oblong, if you will. And then here, if I go to the side, maybe that's a little more clear than my face. <laughs> and so that's how the shape is supposed to be maintained when it's at rest. And then when you contract the muscles, whether it's voluntary or when it's, or it's involuntary, like when you don't want it to happen, that will naturally squeeze more from the bottom than it does from the top, because the most of the muscle bulk is at the bottom of the vagina. And so at the top is where we have the urethra, the bladder, and then the pubic bone. So there's just less of the muscle there. So when you have things that can be difficult to insert into the vagina, it could be that because if that muscle tension is too high, it's going to change that shape from oblong and um, kind of open to more narrowed. And so then it doesn't want to naturally stretch at the bottom where it's supposed to, because those muscles are so tense and holding so much tension in them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So your job, and I know this just because I've been working with you for a really long time now, is is to teach me two different things. To teach me to train, retrain my brain to tell my pelvic floor to relax. So for a long time, my pelvic floor was so tight for so many years that it, is it, is it accurate to say kind of got stuck a little bit? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So it got really tight. I didn't realize I was, I was tightening my pelvic floor. Like, throughout the day, not just when it had anything to do with intercourse, but that's just where I held my tension and we'll get to causes in a little bit. So Mm -hmm. the first thing that you taught me to do was just a mental, you taught me how to diaphragmatic breathing, Mm -hmm. which naturally helps us to relax better and Mm -hmm. to control when something is inserted to tell for my brain, to tell my pelvic floor to relax. That was the first step. And mm-hmm. it's just that repetitive practicing over and over again. And it's a lot of hard work, guys. I'll tell you that. Um, gets a super a little bit later. It's not as easy as it sounds. Um, and then the second part is the the soft tissue that just like your muscles get tight, uh, the muscles down or the superficial, what do you call it? Fascia? Mm-hmm. That yes. gets tight. And so if yes. can you just describe those two components that you work on with tightness? Absolutely. So like you said, it's the brain controlling the muscles at the end of the day that brain controls all. And so if your brain thinks that that tension you're holding in your pelvic floor is normal, like that's, there's no more to relax because I am fully relaxed. Then we have to come in and tell the brain, no, no, that's actually not fully released. This is what a fully rested pelvic floor muscle actually is. Now learn learn how to keep it there, learn how to make it go there, learn to not do that when you're not thinking about it. So I like to think of it like an elevator. So you're supposed to rest to floor zero or the lobby, squeeze to floor 10, rest to floor zero. And so if your brain thinks that the fourth floor is the bottom and there's no more to go, then we have to come in and help the brain learn how to get down back and release all that extra tension. And then uh, when, like in your circumstance, you, your muscles were so tense for so long, then the connective tissue around that, it tightens into that position and it stays there. So think of like, um, if you got, uh, if anyone's seen like a burn or something like that, and it can get contracted to where the skin around a burn tightens around it and it can, it just looks like, oh yeah, that used to be a burn. You can look at it and see, and because it never got stretched. And so the same thing happens with the vaginal tissues. And so we have to then teach those vaginal tissues how to get their extensibility back. And extensibility means that muscle and that tissue's ability to stretch 
and then come back to its resting state. So it's not that we want to stretch you out and leave you, um, leaves a vaginal opening very cavernous and very floppy, if you will, but it stretches and it comes back to its resting state. And those things can happen in tandem, but typically I, I find it more successful when you learn to have that active control first, and then we bring in those passive stretches second. So can we teach the brain to let go of some of this tension to just find the pelvic floor muscles again? Can you even sense where they are? Do you know what it feels like to do a contraction? And then we go from there. Uh, it's something that was really helpful that you explained to me. I think it was the first day that I went in for an evaluation. I chose to be evaluated um, internally and externally, but you did give me that choice. So I just want people to know that, but I wanted to get evaluated that first time. And the way that you, you described it to me, first of all, when you say contract, do you mean a Kegel? Is that the same yes. thing? Yeah. So yes. for those, uh, many of our uh, listeners will, will understand what a Kegel is. If you don't, a Kegel is the act of like holding back your urine. And then relaxing it again. When she's saying contract, she means that that motion of holding back your urine. Um, <laughs> so on a scale of zero to 10, you asked me to, to contract fully. So I did as much as I can, which would have been a 10. And then to relax fully, which ideally, correct me if I'm wrong, would be a zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you evaluated me. I thought I was fully relaxed. I think mm-hmm. I was at like a seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just to give you guys a ballpark, just that really helped me to visualize it. So yeah, I was, so basically at that point, my, you know, my pelvic floor was pretty tight and closed off yet. I was trying to have intercourse. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I can give a bit of like also another size picture, if you will. So her pelvic floor was so tense and tight that for me to do an exam, I insert one index finger and I have a relatively small hand. I don't have a lot of length or a lot of girth to my fingers. And so I could only do an exam to part of just past my first knuckle. And I could feel tissue on all sides of my finger pressing upon it that I did not want to go any further because it would have been very painful. Normally at that depth, I should have had tons of room for my finger to move and explore and press upon different tissue types, but your muscles were so tight at that point that one index finger partially inserted is already making contact with all of your muscles. Crazy. And I had no mm-hmm. idea guys, and no I idea, no right. idea. I thought I was completely relaxed. Like my body felt like it was completely relaxed, but the issue was that for so many years, I want to get to causes in, in just a second. Um, it was so tight. Again, it got stuck and it just, that's what my body knew as normal. So unless Mm -hmm. my brain and body are retrained, they're going to stay that way. Mm -hmm. And this is what I learned, uh, uh, you know, again, uh, based on that podcast and which is what got me through the door. So I'm just so grateful for your honesty and also your sensitivity and helping me to feel so comfortable. Um, But I want to get into causes. So Jenny, Mm -hmm. I know I have, we, we understand what kind of caused my particular vaginismus, by the way, I was diagnosed in vaginismus with vaginismus. Uh, how, what is it? What month? Are, this was February. We're in September now. Okay. So we're, I can't do math. You get the point. It's been a while. Um, so, but what, what can typically cause this kind of tightness? So I know there can be, there can be trauma, right? Whether mm-hmm. there's, some sexual abuse or, you know, any range of trauma, whether it's that or just some, um, purity culture and different levels of, of exposure to that by purity culture. Um, I mean, just, uh, it, it tends to be people, some women are just taught that sex is bad, or they just, you know, they don't understand that it's just hard to turn that off when you get married, all of a sudden I can have sex. So, and mm-hmm. the brain is kind of clo- closing off that pelvic floor just because Mm -hmm. it feels like sex is bad. And then finally there's endometriosis. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you want to add anything to that list? Mm, 
I think those are some pretty good ones. Some pretty okay. heavy duty ones to start. Yeah, with. I, know. I was like, is that enough for <laughs> us? Really? Um, I really want to take some time and focus on endometriosis because mm-hmm. y'all know I'm an advocate. I have suffered from this disease for a very long time. I understood painful sex is a side effect for a really long time. And only just this year learned why. Why does endometriosis cause painful intercourse? Because it's not the lesions themselves. Not necessarily. And, okay. Mm-hmm. Go, I'll let you go. <laughs> I mean, you can have lesions in the pelvis themselves. So uh-huh. like if it is that low, then yeah, if you're going to keep pressing on those kinds of lesions of those structures, like that's not going to be comfortable at all. But typically you're not going to have lesions that low to directly cause pain with intercourse. And more comes from the secondary factors. So like with pain anywhere in the body, you're going to respond in a pretty typical way, which is curling up, tensing around it, trying to protect it. You don't want to stretch the area. You don't want to exercise the area. And the same is true with the pelvis. And so a lot of times endometriosis, you're in kind of that field position. You're doubled over. Everything is kind of brought forward and down, which means your abdominals are not getting to stretch very well. If you're not able to take really deep breaths at all, nor would you really want to take big breaths when you're in a lot of pain. But the implication that has on the pelvic floor then is that the pelvic floor isn't able to get a nice full stretch that it's supposed to, like what happens when you take a deep breath or when you stretch your abdominals or your leg muscles, the pelvic floor muscles should also stretch. And so it's what we call muscle guarding. And so when that kind of protective posturing or muscle guarding happens long enough over a longer period of time, then your muscle activity is going to increase because it happens so often that now your brain's going to start thinking that that higher activity is normal because you never don't have that high activity. And then that can lead to formation of muscle spasms or trigger points. And those themselves then become a source of pain. And so then it starts layering on top of each other. Then you can get into the cycle of, okay, once there is pain with an activity or with intercourse or exercise or whatever, well, then you're probably going to anticipate it to happen the next time. So then you have this fear avoidance and anticipation of pain, um, which kind of lets your body brace for the pain, which increases your muscle tension, which worsens the spasms, which decreases the size of the vaginal opening, which will make the pain worse, which then gives you confirmation bias. Exactly. Yeah. It's just this kind of vicious cycle, which is why education is so important, which is why we're here Mm -hmm. today. But I think it's, it almost sounds too simple. It's like, I think we want there to Mm -hmm. be something more obvious and tangible, but that's why this is so important to talk about because it's just that it doesn't even have to be endometriosis, right? It's just that endometriosis causes pain is is a common cause of pelvic pain in women. But what Mm -hmm. you're saying is that it's indirect in the sense of when we're having a lot of pain, we tense up mm-hmm. and I had pain starting at 12 years old and then all the way, it just got worse over the years. So we're talking, I mean, 10, 20 years of pain that, um, happened, you know, at, at first it was just during my period, but eventually it was almost every day. So if you can imagine the messages that were being communicated to my pelvic floor, and this is long before no surprise. you're even. Yeah, exactly. before you're even sexually active, they yep. have nothing to do with it. And your exactly. pelvic floor is already pra- braced yep. Yep. for pain. Mm-hmm. So it makes perfect sense that, you know, this is what I was experiencing and why it's taking a, a good chunk of time to retrain my body, to learn how mm-hmm. to relax and loosen up. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I just, I mean, I talk about, it. I got to take a second because I, I, I also want you to talk, uh, speak a little bit to our young women and to our moms with girls mm-hmm. who experience severe pain. Is this something mm-hmm. that we should be directing our daughters to our teens, um, our, our young women who are having a lot of physical pain, whether they have a diagnosis of endometriosis or not, should they be going in to see a pelvic floor physical therapist? hundred percent. Yes. And I would argue even younger. So I will see kids as young as two, three years old who they will say that something in the bottom of their pelvis hurts or like the parents will notice that they're starting to like cross their legs or pull up their pants or something. Just they're uncomfortable in some reason. And I think we can brush off kids pretty easily with pain because for them, it is generalized. They aren't able to vocalize. They don't have the vocabulary, but 
we need to be seeing them and following up with them really soon um, and exploring those options. Now, the caveat to this is nothing happens internally to a child ever in public floor therapy. So um, how we treat a child and how we treat an adult are completely different ways. A child is not a small adult and they must be respected in that sense. I take it so far with my practice that I get consent to even touch a child. Like if I'm gonna touch their belly or touch their spine or something like that, I get consent from the parent and I get verbal consent from the child. So if the child says no and the parent says yes, the answer is no. And I respect that at this, when they finally make it to me for therapy, they have usually been put through so many tests and procedures by the physicians that the last thing I want to do is add more medical trauma to their nervous system. Um, but yes, especially for girls, even if they're before they have their period, if they're starting to start having their system turning online, they're starting to get some cramps with it and all that start exploring because, um, unfortunately medically in the commonplace, and I know you have podcasts that talk about this, but, um, the gynecologists don't have many options for period pain in the classic sense. And so if we can give measures to make the pain more tolerable, then we can help prevent a lot of the dysfunction that comes once you're five, 10, 20 years down. Because this is a a situation that can be reinforced, right? So Mm -hmm. for example, I mean, had I gone when I was a teenager and been taught how to relax my pelvic floor, how to, how to, you know, how to maybe handle the time in between the pain, you know, or maybe it wouldn't have gotten so bad, right? I also would like to mention Mm -hmm. too, I would like you to speak to the importance of not pushing through sex that is painful for the same reasons because you're reinforcing that message to the pelvic floor that this and to your brain to expect pain. So another factor of this is counseling, which I just want to mention before I forget, I have been seeking in conjunction with pelvic floor physical therapy. They're, they're both very important, but yeah, go ahead and speak to that. How important it is to not reinforce these messages. Absolutely. I, for me, it helps to say like mind, body, and soul, they're all connected. You cannot separate one from the other. We cannot cut one out and try and replace it. And so you have to respect the whole person, including you have to respect your own whole person. And so if you're having painful experiences, you stop, you pause at that moment. And if it doesn't dissipate, then you should, I think you should stop and avoid that whole saying of like, no pain, no gain. I think it should be like no challenge, no gain, maybe like, Oh, I like that. I don't, I know it doesn't rhyme, which is the whole point of no pain, no gain. (laughs) But like, I know they used to, in the most common times I've heard it is like with sports or exercise or something in that sense, which is false as well. Like hello, muscle tears. Yes. But (laughs) that's the physical therapist. Okay. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) but I understand that you do need to challenge the body. You need to challenge your system in order for there to be progress, but not to the detriment of the rest of the person, not to reinforce pain. So like I said before, like if there's pain and then you're like, oh, see, I told you body, I told you there was going to be pain. And guess what? You're going to have pain if you do this again next time. And then the whole thing happens again. And then your muscles are going to prepare for this. Your nerves become hypersensitive because they don't want anything inserted into the vaginal canal, nor do your muscles. So they're going to start making everything feel worse to try and deter you from doing it again. Yep. And of course, how smart of the body to do this. Yeah. It's just unfortunate that happens when you want to actually do I something know. like have sex with yourself. It- it's very hard, y'all. I don't, I mean, I, we're kind of in the heady place right now. I really don't want to get deep into the emotional and the spiritual. That'll be another episode Emily and I will do later. But um, I do want to acknowledge that this is very hard. And mm-hmm. um, that's another level I'm dealing with now, you know, on the physical level, trying to, you know, relax my pelvic floor and stretch out those tight tissues is one thing, but it's also retraining my brain. I can't just say this is not going to be painful brain. Like, get it through your skull. It doesn't work like that. It's something that you have to work towards Mm -hmm. and it takes as long as it takes. Mm -hmm. And And that's not something we want to hear. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's so personal to everyone. That's why people take like, how long, how many visits will this going to take and this, that, and the other. And it's hard to say because it's individual and mind, body, and soul. 
where are you on every piece? Because one thing can't improve till everything improves. I love that you approach this as a whole person too. You've been so good at that. And, and just to give a comparison, like if somebody breaks a bone, there, there are kind of like finite number of weeks, generally mm-hmm. speaking, that you give it. This is not that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, exactly. it completely depends on the individual. And we had some questions mm-hmm. um, that were asking, how long should it take? Why is this, you know, why is this still painful? And I think that speaks mm-hmm. a little bit to the answer. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. We got to move on a little bit. I got, I've got so much. Sorry. I want to squeeze into that. It's not you. It's me. I can't shut my mouth about this. Um, I want to speak a little bit. I want you to speak a little bit about the ranges of pain. Cause mm-hmm. I know at first I kind of thought like, oh, I have vaginismus and that's this one, but no, I, there's actually mild, moderate and severe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you told me I actually just had moderate. So if that kind of puts this into perspective, can you kind of compare and contrast those? Yeah. So the level of dysfunction, whoops. Hey there. Okay. Sorry. You're still Phone's here. being weird. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the level of dysfunction to the level of pain, kind of like how endometriosis is you can have different severities of the disease, but that doesn't necessarily equate to the level of pain. And it's the same with everything oh, else. Like okay. I can make my suggestion of, I think there are moderate active trigger points throughout the pelvic floor, or they're very dense and large. Um, I expect this to be highly, highly painful. And some people are like, yeah, hmm. that's uncomfortable. I can feel that. So Interesting. it's both sides of the coin of it's your perception of how you're feeling it. And then from an impairment level, what am I feeling and how much tissue um, needs to be treated to normalize into a better state? Very helpful. <laughs> okay. Um, next question I think is like the golden question. Should sex be painful for the first time? Okay. Mm-hmm. And speak to obviously there. So I think I've heard, I've talked to so many different people. I hear so many different answers and I'm like, no, it's not supposed to be painful. This is what Jenny told me, but they're always like, but no, it could be like a little uncomfortable. Right. So explain what you mean when you say like, yes, yeah, some discomfort is expected. This is the first time this is new. Like you're nervous, but tell us what, what is the level where this is not normal? Absolutely. And that distinction again, pain, discomfort, totally different and individual and situational. And so it's hard. It, that's a fine line to walk, but yeah, sex should never be painful period. Carte blanche. Never. Can you say um, it again? Sex will never be painful. Sex should never, never be, be yeah. painful. Okay. <laughs> um, it, but especially first time. Yeah. It should, it may be uncomfortable, especially for a couple of different factors. Um, what kind of other pressures or situation are you in? Like, What's the context behind you having Mm -hmm. sex for the first time? If you have an intact hymen still or not, that can be more uncomfortable or not. So a hymen is like um, a connective tissue uh, veil, if you will, within the vaginal opening. And so that can rupture with time or it can rupture with pressure. And so like sex for the first time can rupture that. And so it it just depends, but it should never be. That's never be painful and definitely never worsen. Like, yes, that's helpful. Yeah. I guess I should say not even worse it. If it doesn't improve to the point of true enjoyment and pleasure, then it's still dysfunctional. Okay. So I, I, when I interview and ask questions, I differentiate, is it just non-painful or is it pleasurable? Because those are also Mm -hmm. two different things too. And it should be, it should be pleasurable. It should be freaking pleasurable. It should be great. Yeah. That's the goal. That's the goal we're working towards. That is good. Yes, That's it what is. you deserve. That's what every woman deserves. So yes. Um, I think the main situations people think of are sex for the first time, but also postpartum. So mm-hmm. you, so like maybe women experience discomfort at first, but that like you're saying, that should go away, right? Yes. Yes. But also if there's severe pain the first time, okay, your body is telling you no. Why is it saying yeah. no? Is it, mm-hmm. it could be as simple as it's too soon. Like maybe you haven't healed enough postpartum. Yes. They classic OB will say four to six weeks. You're clear to go. No restrictions. Well, maybe that's not you. Maybe you need more time to heal and that's okay too. Um, or it could be, no, no, there's something going on that needs to be treated first. Like if you had a grade two, three perineal tear and you had a lot of scar tissue, maybe you need to get rid of that scar tissue and treat that or not get rid of, but we need to make that um, scar tissue more mobile, more flexible, more extensible. And then your tissues will be in a better state to have that kind of stretch with intercourse. 
Yeah, a normal functioning pelvic floor is what you deserve. So this is not something that you just have to deal with. This is something that you can work towards, like that normalcy. I think we tend to put ourselves on the back burner, you know, whether you're postpartum, a new mother, um, not a mother, a mother who's been a mother for a while. Like we tend to like not take care of ourselves first. This is, this is basic care here that you deserve. Um, Okay, let's get a little bit into treatment. Um, I know you you talked a little bit about that already. We talked about mm-hmm. uh, the diaphragmatic breathing, mm-hmm. teaching, which you know is is nothing more than just the woman like thinking about it and 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 understanding what it feels like to relax the pelvic floor. What are some of the uh, the the things that you can give a woman like homework exercises? You're doing some things in the appointment. What is she doing at home? Because I know what happens at home is a large part, at least for me, has been a large part of this treatment and healing process. And I would argue what happens at home is even more important. When we meet for one hour, you know, however often, Mm -hmm. that's not going to make enough change if it's not being reinforced at home every day. So the mindfulness or awareness training, again, getting the brain to focus on the pelvic floor, learn where it is, learn how to control it. Um, and learning to appreciate what position it's actually in at the moment. Does it feel tense? Does it feel released? Um, the diaphragmatic breathing, which does a few things that helps downtrain the nervous system. So calming the nervous system down, it can help literally give a mini stretch to the pelvic floor muscles so they can start to release some of their tension. Some lower body stretches can feel really good. So we can use like the legs, the musculature, the buttocks, um, the trunk muscles to stretch those to then pull on the pelvis to help the pelvic floor muscles get a little mini stretch as well. There's uh, exercises you can do around the pelvic floor. So like middle of the body, so legs, buttocks, abdominal and core exercises to help that muscle learn to contract or kegel and then release. And then there's tools that we can use to help the muscles actually release their tension by pressing on them. So like a dilator or a TheraWand. Can you explain what a dilator is real quick? Absolutely. So a dilator is like an, I should have grabbed mine. Um, It's like, Do you want me to go grab it? No, it's okay. Okay. It's like eight to 10 inches of round, hard medical grade plastic in a cylinder shape. And that's a dilator. It, um, it has a hand or you hold it with one end, insert with the other end, and it lets you just reach the pelvic tissues to then give them a stretch. And then a TheraWand is similar, but it's in an S shape. And so that can help you get a little bit more leverage because what the the hand or the arm that gets inserted vaginally and the end that you're holding on are offset by like six inches or so. So you don't have to reach as far down if that's uncomfortable for you. Um, and so they act just as if, just like your therapist finger. So my finger is internally and I can press on the muscle to get that spasm to release or to help guide that muscle into a fully relaxed position the dilator and TheraWand can kind of give the same pressures to mimic that at home. Yeah. And I want to make something very clear. This is not like pleasurable. <laughs> you know, and I think we have, uh, some of our listeners might be concerned if you're Catholic, especially, is this licit? Is this something that is approved by the church? And I want to make it very clear that yes, it is. This is something that I've been using in my personal therapy. Now, again, it's different. Is it comfortable? No. But is it licit? Yes. Is it good for my health? For me personally? Yes. Um, so I just want you to know, this is not something that's enjoyable, enjoyable. This is hard work. And so it, it, it's not something that you want to do, but, but Jenny, can you speak to like, if your goal is pleasurable, pain-free sex, is there any other way other than using a dilator to, to, to have the same results, the same healing results? That's a great question. And uh, thank you for clarifying all of that and saying it because it's so important. This is yeah. a medical procedure. Yeah. This is, and anyone who's done the treatment knows this is not for Ugh. fun, not for pleasure. Yeah. The ultimate Absolutely. goal is, but the work in the middle is not. So yes, there are ways to do the therapy without necessarily using a dilator or a TheraWand. I've had people who they don't want to. And so they actually do all of the practice 
during intercourse with their partner. And so it's using very slowed controlled motions to help the woman learn how to control her pelvic floor muscle tension in the moments. There's lots of pauses, lots of um, down trainings in the nervous system, breath work to try and get that tension to release. And then they continue and they pause and stop when they need to. Um, you, but if I could be honest, Jenny, really quick, that yeah. sounds a lot harder. <laughs> I mean, am I very difficult? That, I mean, just it thinking is. about the work that I have to do with the dilator and how challenging it is to keep up with and do it. Like I can only, and just now that I understand that, like sex has been traumatic for me for a little while, for a while, mm -hmm. like the mm -hmm. thought of, of, of everything that I have to go into this practice to, to do that with intercourse and every other day or every other day, it just doesn't feel completely practical. I mean, if mm -hmm. I'm being honest, mm -hmm. absolutely. But, but I do, but people have the option. That's the point is that like, yes, no one is forced to use the dilator. You do have this option, but I'd also challenge you if this is something that's important. Um, you're likely someone who takes things to prayer and discerns things. I would just, I would just get curious about why, because it, it will be, it's certainly okay, mm -hmm. but it will be a lot more challenging. I would think. And this, I would say, is more generally true with endometriosis or other kinds of similar types of pains. Depending on the cause, this may not even be appropriate. So, like, if right. you're having pain because of prolapse, there's a really low chance you'll need a therawand or dilator. So, right. getting an individual exam will really direct which way this goes. But in this right. context, it, it's really common. It's a very helpful tool. The dilator you're talking about? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Would you say it's gold standard if we're medically or therapy wise mm. speaking or gold standard? I don't know if we have enough research to say gold standard, but okay. for me in my practice, yes, it okay. will. In my opinion, it gives you a, not, a lot of practice on multiple fronts and not just from the context of take this dilator and insert it. Yeah. You get so much more practice with yeah. this tool about learning your locus of control versus giving that to somebody else in the moment. And then how do you control it in the, how you control your muscles in those moments. And you do, you can use the dialer in many, many ways. And just to give you guys some perspective, this was seven months ago that I started physical therapy um, with Jenny, pelvic floor physical therapy. I think I've seen you six times, mm -hmm. five or six times. I could have gone more frequently. But, um, my, I, I, my intention is I wanted to be able to do most of the work at home. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, I would like you to speak to my progress. I've worked really hard. It's been very difficult and I still mm -hmm. have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. So I just want to encourage you ladies that this is not something that you can go and get a quick fix. You're mm -hmm. in this for the long haul. Like it is hard work, but it's rewarding work. And I have begun to see the rewards of this hard work and mm -hmm. I'm not done yet, but can you just speak to that a little bit? That's so great. Um, yes. I mean, Mary, you've come so far. It's incredible to see from being able to insert just past my first knuckle on our first exam to being able to do an entire pelvic exam with appropriate pressure as if I were simulating a speculum. That's mind blowing. That's incredible. So yeah. it's, it's just really awesome to see and to watch. Um, but like we said, mind, body, and soul all improves together. And so how this improves for everybody can be completely different. I have seen people get through this, um, on the other side in just a couple of visits and maybe like two months. Other right. times I've seen people who have started and then completely stopped because it just wasn't the right time for them and they yeah. weren't ready to continue on with the work. So, and everything in between is possible. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a spectrum for healing too. That's the point, but mm -hmm. we want you to know that it is possible. You have to be ready and willing. Yes. And again, counselor, like finding a good counselor is really important. A good, maybe like look up EMDR therapy. That's some of what I've been doing. Um, a good spiritual director, if that's something that fits good with you, good communication between the spouses. Like this has challenged mm. us to grow in our marriage in ways that we did not realize we needed to grow, but mm -hmm. man, to see how Chris has loved me through this, like we have seen each other in different ways that we just weren't privy to before. 
So it's really <laughs> challenging. I'm like, great. I got through endometriosis and infertility and I had the hysterectomy and oh, hello, surprise. Endometriosis keeps on giving. Like this was a big <laughs> surprise. But again, looking back with the like discerning eyes, I see like, this is a mercy from God to give mm. this to me now. Like I was not ready. Like you said, you have to be ready. I was not ready in the first 10 years of marriage when I was dealing with infertility and severe physical pain. I had mm -hmm. the hysterectomy healed from that, you know, and then God is like, okay, I want more for your marriage. I want more for, for the intimacy and in, in sex itself for you guys. Mm -hmm. So I know that can be maybe triggering for a little people because it's like for a little for people because it's like, well, that sucks, Mary. And you're right, it does. Mm -hmm. But it's all about perspective. I am so grateful that God has drawn me out of this pushing through painful intercourse for so long mm -hmm. to where now I can start to see the hope of the future for not only pain-free intercourse, but pleasurable intercourse and, and yes. honesty and, and greater intimacy with my husband. So there is hope. I don't want y'all to lose that. Um, absolutely. Wow. This has been such a great conversation. We're, um, I, I, I'm, we have a few questions. I just want to touch on quickly before okay. we wrap it up, if that's okay. Anything else yes. you want to add before I do that? No, let's go on with the okay. questions. Bring them. Okay. First question is, is we've kind of already addressed some of these, but I just want to make sure, uh, one mm -hmm. person asked is painful sex, always fixable by a pelvic PT had endo removed, but sex is still painful. We touched that. I think mm -hmm. we've touched that pretty well. Also, mm -hmm. if sex is painful and endo is already excised, what kind of thing will pelvic PT do with you? We did address that, but also just, I never specifically mess, mentioned if you have surgery to remove endometriosis, she mentioned excise. That's what she means is surgery to remove endometriosis. That doesn't mean that the painful intercourse will automatically be um, corrected because it's it's the indirect um, result of the pain that has caused the tightness in the pelvic floor and, and the painful intercourse. If your surgeon didn't do those anti-adhesions approaches, then you also need to think scar tissue management oh, for the abdominal tissue. cavity. That's mm -hmm. a great point. Um, the Napper mm -hmm. technology surgeons are some of the only ones that I know use that anti-adhesion, those anti-adhesion mm -hmm. techniques. So Okay. How long might I need to work with a PT to address pain? We've addressed this as well, that mm -hmm. it depends on the person and how will, how willingness you can work at it at home. Right. And I'll also add, so the rest of that was, they've been consistently seeing pelvic floor therapists. So there are some things like if you are not seeing some degree of progress now, I think Mary can attest to this. It's not necessarily the progress you were hoping for, right. but we're looking for little mini victories to win the war. So if you're not seeing those small changes and some positives, that's progressively improving with time and with your amount of effort that you're giving, then maybe it is time to go back to the drawing board. Maybe something is being missed that we need to look bigger than just the one exam that the therapist is performing. Paul, you may need to look at the therapist's experience and to make sure that they are properly trained in doing this therapy. So if you're doing the work and you're not seeing those small incremental positives happening over time, then I would go back to the drawing board and reconsider some things. Great tips. Thank you. And maybe even just finding another pelvic floor physical therapist. Sometimes it's just not a good fit. I mean, could that be possible? Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Get a second opinion. And that's true of anyone. I'm a huge fan of doctor shopping. You don't know if it's a good fit or not until you start looking somewhere else. So absolutely. Mm -hmm. Check okay, it out. Great. Another good question. Is it worth it if it's only painful in one position? Depends. That's up to you. If you really want to have sex in that one position, then yeah, I think it's really important. If it's something that doesn't really affect you and doesn't matter, then okay, avoid it. Depending on what's going on health-wise, it may be uncomfortable. It may be painful to a certain degree. Like if you do have a prolapse, then there may be positions that are just going to be more uncomfortable if you don't have surgery that you can modify around, but maybe not be able to go back to the way things were before. Uh, but you really don't know until you get that evaluated. Yeah, for sure. Okay. What to do when you're mismatched? My hubby is quite large. I think this yes. is a great question because I often wonder, I'm like, I don't have anything compared to this too. So what, what could this be telling us? So, um, Actually, I don't think there is such a thing because think of a baby. A baby is usually a lot bigger. Of course. I didn't even think of that. 
So, you know, if it's uncomfortable, even despite a large size, then that usually means that you just have, as the female, maybe some tissue restriction or some just tighter connective tissue. If you're a person that just has tighter skin in general, then that can be mobilized to teach it how to be more extensible. And I would argue if you're before you're having babies and before you're getting pregnant, this is something you must do in preparation for delivery. And if you're after, then it may even be a result of just healing from deliver having a vaginal delivery. So, um, mm. yep, nope, you can accommodate any size. Now, maybe Never. not in every position. There are some positions that stress the tissues in different angles, like more towards the back or more towards the front. But as a whole, the vagina creates like a cul-de-sac around the cervix in the back of the vagina. And so penetration kind of goes to the edges around the cervix rather than just inside the cervix. So you have as much extensibility as you want to train those tissues to have. So, so helpful. And this reminds me of something in Emily. So Emily interviewed another pelvic floor physical therapist and they talked about postpartum and they mentioned about tightness and tearing during labor. So I wanted to ask you just briefly, like we were talking about tightness and painful intercourse and someone like me, had I gotten pregnant, would that have made me more likely to tear? For you personally, I don't know if you would have been able to deliver vaginally. Whoa. Okay. Wow. Yeah. It was that tense and that poorly coordinated, especially if you did get an epidural to where you couldn't feel how to push. I don't know if you would have been able to generate pressure to push the baby out. I don't know if your tissues could have stretched enough without just tearing from front to back. If oh, it, whoa, I need a second, y'all. This is the first time I'm hearing this. It's for you in this circumstance. I, I would have been very concerned for your healing and how much trauma your tissues would have had. Cause on the one end, on the worst case scenario, you could have needed the nurse to get up onto your uterus. It's called fundal pressure and push for you because if you can't generate enough power and then the physician would have had his whole hand inside the vagina to push the baby shoulder underneath the pubic bone and then had to help pull him, pull the baby out for you. And that's usually highly associated with really large tears and trauma. So I would have been very, very concerned for you. Mm-hmm. Holy Okay. Um, I know. No, this is because I wouldn't have known to get a C this would have been reason enough to have a C-section I imagine, but I would have had no idea. And now I'm like, wow, what did God save me from with my infertility? That sounds like ridiculous. I know, but, um, okay. And then another caveat for you, you have had so many abdominal surgeries the amount of scar tissue in your abdominal cavity at the time of cesarean, depending on when it happened in relationship to your other surgeries, you could have had extensive OR time during the cesarean. And then you could have anesthesia effects and side effects for you and the baby. So that's also a concern for your story that I, I would have encouraged you to have a really, really in-depth conversation with the doctor about. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just taking this in. I got, I'm like, got chills and everything. Whoa. So, okay. And this highlights again the importance of being well educated so that we know what we're dealing with. I just cannot believe that this is how I would have gone and I w- would have gone into labor, like gone into the hospital, have a baby after so many years of infertility and trying and the pain, the physical pain. So ladies, if you're having a lot of physical pain, uh, just go get evaluated, have a conversation. You're not signing up. You're not committing to internal work. Mm-hmm. You are not committing to a certain amount of visits with a pelvic floor physical therapist, but it's worth just having a conversation and whatever level of evaluation you're comfortable with. Wow. Okay. I'm sorry. I just need a minute after. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway. All right. Just trying to wrap this up. I was at, I think that was the last question that we needed to hit. Um, yeah, I just, just to kind of wrap this up, uh, Jenny, I'm sorry, I'm still processing all of this. Um, Careful, hey, you. I didn't expect the conversation to go that direction. No, I just thought I was going to get a simple, yeah, you're my, more likely to, you know, to tear or whatever, but 
anyway, I'm so, I'm so grateful though, because having these hard conversations are so important. Now I'm kind of springing this on you without warning, uh, cause I just thought of it, but we already had you on. So I can't ask you our final question of what's your elevator pitch for fertility awareness. So mm. I'm going to ask you for your elevator pitch for pelvic floor physical therapy and cross fingers. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so Pelvic floor therapy, they are your pelvic floor muscles are the muscles at the bottom of the pelvis. They control bowel, bladder, and sexual functions. Every human has them. And there should be no dysfunction or issue with any of those areas with or without pain. And so if any of that is happening, then a pelvic floor therapist is a good place to start. It may not be the end and it may not be the absolute end, be end all be all answer, but it is a really good place to start that conversation. It's a really good piece of piece of the puzzle, right? It is good a piece information of the puzzle. to have. A and that's great- it. In the medical field, everyone specializes so much. You need to build your medical team around you to support your health. And if pelvic floor therapy can be part of it, then we're happy to be. Amen. I love that. Thank you so much, Jenny. I can't thank you enough for being here, sharing all your wisdom and knowledge with us. And of course, I'm so grateful that you're my own personal PT. If you want to find Jenny, she's at Pivotal PT and Wellness. Again, this is located in Old Mandeville, just on the North Shore of New Orleans in Louisiana. Um, In our first series, um, I'm not sorry, not series, our episode um, in pelvic floor physical therapy, she told us about how to find a pelvic floor physical therapist that specializes in these kinds of things close to you. So make sure you listen to that to get that valuable information. Thank you so much listeners for being here with us today. Again, I'm going to link that episode down in the show notes. Um, you know, you can find us at our website, fanbase.org and on social media, um, Facebook and Instagram at fanbase. That's F-A-B-M-B-A-S-E. Y'all take care and have a great day. Thanks for listening to our conversation. If you enjoy The Intersect, would you mind giving us a rating and leaving a review? You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Browse our unique website at fabmbase.org where you'll find easy to digest information on all things fertility awareness and information on how to contact us with questions or to book us for a speaking engagement. We're so glad you hung out with us today and we can't wait till next time.